Thank you. I am really glad that you joined us, uh, particularly those of you who are online who can be doing any number of other things. I would mention a couple, but it might send you surfing somewhere else, and I'd rather you just stay with us. So, thanks for being with us. Hey, uh, we are, have been uh, looking at uh, the things that unite us. Uh, there's all kinds of branches to the Christian family tree. Uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, where have you been? Uh, you know, there's Protestants, Catholics, and Orthodox. Those are the big three. Uh, then there's the non-denoms and the, and the, the anti-denominationals. And, and the, there's all kinds of us out there. And um, so a lot of people are out wondering, well, how, do, how do we know what to believe? We've got all these different brands of, uh, of, of the church. And, and they're all saying, uh, we believe the Bible, we, uh, we know the truth, we, we got the way, you follow us and you get there, you know, we, you, you know this, uh, this is what I've observed, I, you know, I've been, uh, uh, I've been, I've, well, I've been in the church almost since the day I was born, I was born in a hospital, but when my parents as pastors, it was shortly thereafter, somewhere probably toward the front of the church uh, in a basket or something. Uh, I've been in church ever since. I've observed church people for a long time. Um, we agree on a whole lot more than we disagree on. And the basis of, of a lot of what we agree on is found in the Apostles' Creed. But we've been looking at that uh, the last... Uh, this summer, uh, looking at the firm foundation that's given to us in the Apostles' Creed, and we have come to the to the last section. The first section is really short. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. That's it. That's all God the Father gets. And in His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and then there's a big long section about all that Jesus has done for us and is going to do for us. And, uh, and now we come to the last section. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, for the longest time, I thought that one, one little bit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, was all that the Holy Spirit got out of the entire Apostles' Creed. And then all of it, I'm still learning. As I was looking at it uh, recently, all of a sudden I went, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What makes the church, what unites the church, what makes the church universal, what brings us all together is, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Well, who, who, brings the, who brings in the communion or the fellowship of the saints? Oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Who, who brings forgiveness of sins? Yeah, it was Jesus' sacrifice, his life, death, and resurrection, but it's the Holy Spirit who brings it to us. Uh, who's, who's responsible for the resurrection of our bodies? It's going to happen when Jesus comes back, but it's the Holy Spirit that makes it happen. Oh, and who gives us life everlasting? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. <coughs> this whole last section is about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. 
Um, so my question, as we start to think about this section on the Holy Spirit, is how open are you to the Holy Spirit going to work in your life? Now, don't dive into your answer real quick. Um, I've been around church people, because I and, and I know there's a whole broad spectrum of answers to that question. <laughs> people all, all the way from, uh, that's a terrifying question, to, yeah, let's go for it! Um, before you answer, I want to uncover some of the work of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, uh, before you, we go... Whether, what do we answer the question? How open are we to that? Okay, uh, and to do that, we're going to look at the letter uh, in the New Testament. One of the letters is collected there is the letter to the congregation, the first century church in Rome. Um, Paul is the author. The Apostle Paul was the, the, wrote that letter. It's kind of a letter of introduction, but also he had a purpose. He's not only going to be coming to Rome, it's his hope to go to Rome, but he is also doing what he did in most of his letters. He's trying to unite the Gentile followers of Jesus and the Jewish followers of Jesus into one congregation, into a united congregation. For as long as anybody could ever remember, uh, it had always been us versus them with these two ethnics, ethnicities. Uh, it was Jews versus everybody else, which was Jews versus Gentiles. Um, you know, and, and the Gentiles had always thought the Jews were strange. And now they're all following Jesus and, and they're having a hard time getting along. Uh, the church Jesus is building is not uh, contrary to the way we often think as North Americans, and particularly United States uh, Americans, U.S. Americans, uh, the church is not a, uh, millions of independent individuals running around trying to make Jesus famous. Um, that's probably the greatest challenge that we have as uh, uh, the church today. To, we are to become the body of Christ, living the will of God as a unit, as a whole, instead of being millions of individual bodies running around doing our own thing to, in the name of God. Uh, we're to be united, one body doing God's will. Um, that is a miracle. To me, anyway. Uh, to get a bunch of uh, individualistic Americans to do anything together is a miracle. Uh, because, you know, it's one thing to say, I believe in the Holy Universal Church. It's something else entirely to actively work to make it a reality. for a moment. I'm going to just use a, an example from our community. In September of this year, uh, I will have lived here for 30 years. That's almost half of my entire life. It is most of my adult life. That's unbelievable. 
You could almost say, I am from Bay City. Um, for most of those 30 years, I have prayed with other pastors for the unity of the churches in our community. And in the past few years, we have started to see our churches start to come together to work together. There have been other attempts. <coughs> Excuse me. There have been other attempts, but they always seem to implode or explode. And so far, at this point, God seems to be bringing us together. It is a God thing to get a bunch of churches together, to work together, not thinking, what are we going, what's my congregation going to get out of this? But thinking, how can we build the body of Christ? How can we expand the kingdom of God in the Bay City, Bay County community. That's a God thing. Yeah, Pastor. Some of you are looking at me like you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. I'm going to give you two examples real quick. Mega Sports Camp. Party at the park. Concrete living examples of Churches working together, and those are just two of the things that are happening. Um, there are others that are on the way. So we're going to look at uh, uh, what Paul says to the, these church, these folks. Um, Romans chapter eight. We're going to start reading in verse five. Going to read through verse seventeen. I'm reading from the Passion translation. Uh, it is different from what you are looking at, unless you're following along in the new version event. Um, but it's still English. You won't get lost. All right? Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. Time out. I'm going to do this as we're reading through this passage several times. I'm going to stop. You know, what are these spiritual realities? Um, that's a great question. You know, it's pretty easy for us to understand that first part. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. Everybody understands that. We all understand that because we all live that or have lived that or struggle not to live that. I mean, that's just, we know what that is. Everybody who's a human being knows what it means to, to pursue what benefits us. What does it mean to pursue spiritual realities? A couple of authors put it this way. The New Testament pattern for the believer is the spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-permeated, spirit-controlled, and thus other-oriented person. Paul taught that we are free only when we can live 
for others. And that is only possible through the Spirit. Jesus put it this way in the night in his little conversation with his disciples the night before he was crucified. I give you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There, there's another miracle. Self-centered humans, all of us, who are constantly pursuing what benefits us, transforms into humans that love as Jesus loves, which means they do for others what's best for others, even though it might cost them. I'm going to say that again because we so often define love as having warm, fuzzy feelings for people. There's nothing wrong with warm, fuzzy feelings for people. But that's not the sum of the total of the way Jesus loves us. We're called to love each other with the kind of love that Jesus has for us. Everyone will know you're my disciples by the way that you, if you love as I've loved you. That's what Jesus says. So he transforms us from self-centered humans into humans that love like he does, and that was we do for others, we do for others what's best for them, even if it costs us. For those of us who are more picture oriented, cross the cross the manger washing dirty feet touching lepers What are you talking about, Mark? I'm just giving you examples of what Jesus did to express his love for us. Gave up heaven to be born and spent his first night in a food feed trough. I don't care how many times I see people try to dress that up. I've seen all kinds of things. Oh, well, it's really not, you know, it's not like you were. Cows, donkeys, sheep, animals ate food out of the thing Jesus slept in that night. I don't care how fancy you think it was, how special a place it may have been, it He gave up the throne of heaven to be spend the night in a manger. And how many other nights? I don't know. 
man with leprosy who was not supposed to even get close to people said, if you're willing you, and you touch me, you know, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus said, I'm willing, and he touched him. And he died on the cross for all of us. So those are the kind, those are just some examples of what I mean when I say his love is a kind of love that does for others what's beneficial, what helps them or benefits them, even though it might cost him. And he says that's the standard of love we're supposed to have. And the only way a selfish, self-centered human being will ever get there is if the Holy Spirit does a miracle in our lives and keeps doing miracles in our lives to teach us how to love people like that. Oh, and I'm only part way through. Let's keep going. So, those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities, that of loving others the way Jesus does. And it goes on to say, for the sense and reason of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life in peace. Quick, who wouldn't want to trade death for life in peace? That's it. There's no asking question. Going right on. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction. Because it cannot. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure in those who are controlled by the flesh. Just going to insert this here. Paul's implication here is whether they're Jews or Gentiles, we're all controlled at some point by the flesh, and none of us can please God as long as we're trying to figure out what's going to benefit us. But, he goes on to say, when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are dominated, not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And the entire human race, Paul sets this out in, in, in in chapters 1, 2, 3, the entire human race has this rebellious mindset. But our minds can be renewed. Our minds can be changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to say, if you are not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, you are not of him. But now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. In other words, the life of Jesus that conquered death and the grave can live in us now. Not someday, by and by, 
in the sky now. That same life, that same power can live in us now. That is a miracle. <clears throat> so then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all. And we have no further obligations to live in obedience to it. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. And if but if the spirit, the life of the spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste his abundant life. In other words, again, we begin living God's abundant life here and now. It's not someday in heaven, it's now. We experience his abundant life. Paul says the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. We, in other words, can experience, can feel the freedom from the fear of never being good enough. So we can feel full acceptance and adoption into God's family. It gets deeper than that. This is good. You will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, he, the Spirit. As the Spirit rises up within us, our spirits join Him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. In other words, the Spirit works in us so that we join the Spirit and taste the infinite love of the Trinity. There's this love that goes on between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as they love each other and because the Spirit lives in us, we can share it. Paul goes on to say, For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. What, what can happen deep inside us? What can happen inside you when you hear that? Pastor and author J.D. Walt describes what happens in him when he hears that. reminds himself daily of that. He says, I began the day with a performance evaluation before the job even begins. 
and it has nothing to do with my performance. It is based completely on my Holy Spirit-given identity anchored in Jesus. I remember at the beginning of every day that all my sins, shortcomings, and failures have no bearing on who I am, who I most truly and deeply am. I remember at the beginning of every day that I am loved, deeply loved, and not just a little bit, but extravagantly more than I can possibly even imagine or comprehend. You are God's dearly loved child. Period. Or even better yet, exclamation point. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no conditions. And Paul goes on to say, and since we are his, his true children, we qualify to share. We qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. So, I'm going to ask again, how open are you to the Holy Spirit going to work in your life? And again, I'm going to say, before you answer, allow me to list some of the work the Holy Spirit will do in your life. Okay. How open are you? Here's what he does. He turns our motivations toward loving others. He replaces death with life and peace. He sets us free from a rebellious mindset. He fills us with the life of Jesus. He sets us free to live God's abundant life. He releases us from the fear of never being good enough so we can experience full exception and adoption into God's family. He empowers our spirits to join him in saying, Beloved Father to God Almighty, to taste the love of the Trinity. He whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. So, how open are you to the Holy Spirit going to work to do these things in your life? Fear of the unknown or loss of control holds a lot of this back. But here's the bottom line. Mere human actions, mere human feelings will never provoke anyone's interest, whether they're believers or unbelievers. Only the Holy Spirit can create the miraculous transformations we've been talking about that will empower the church to love the way Jesus loved. And when that happens, the world will realize it, and they're going to want Jesus. This is not a surprise, but in case you haven't noticed, most of the people in our community do not care about Jesus and the church.
Jesus is right, and I would say that he is like 100% of the time, um, the odds are that it's because they've not met people who love like he does. means we need, I need transformation. This is a sermon in a sentence. For me, I'm inviting you to grab a hold of it and use it for yourself as well. Refuse to remain stagnant and welcome the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Refuse to remain stagnant. Stagnant means we just stopped moving. We've, we've come. It's not that we haven't come, haven't come so far. We've come. You know, there used to be a radio, a church Christian radio program that their theme song was "We've Come This Far by Faith." Now, something you also know they know about me is that I have a little bit of a sarcastic slice slash ironic sense of humor and they would start the this choir would come on we've come this far by faith and the first words that uh, i would change some, the song immediately in my head uh, as i reached for the dial to change the station i feel like traveling on I, <laughs> Now, it is fine for us to have come this far by faith. But I have been reminded this week, we must feel like traveling on. I refuse to remain stagnant. I welcome the Holy Spirit's work in my life. And this, I wanted to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to lead you in singing our prayer. We sang it a few moments ago, so it's, you know, hopefully we'll be all right. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, be a place that is so full of your presence that when people meet me, they encounter you. That's what that prayer means. I want to be so full of Jesus in spirit that when they meet me, they actually meet Jesus. That when they encounter me and experience the way I treat them, they experience his love. Well, that's going to be miraculous. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Lord, prepare me. To be a sanctuary, pure and holy, 
tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. You are sent to love your neighbor and your enemies as Jesus loved you. So what does that look like? It means to pray and to work for their blessing. Which sounds a little bit like this. May God's favor be upon you and your family and your children and their children and their children's children to a thousand generations. May God's Holy Spirit, his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. Jesus is with you. In the morning, in the evening, in your coming and in your going, in your weeping and rejoicing, God is for you. We are with you. We are for you. You are sent to love everyone as Jesus loves you. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the only way it's ever going to happen.